to this episode of Joy's World, the podcast. Today, I have another very special, special guest. Um, I said on my podcast in the previous episode that I have had weight loss surgery, I had a gastric sleeve. And so I thought this episode, who better to help me explain what what I went through and what I'm going to go through my journey, then the surgeon that performed the surgery on me and he goes by Mr. Ahmed. So Mr. Ahmed, welcome to my podcast. Thank you, Joy. Nice to see you again. Nice to see you too. Um, Mr. Ahmed, I always start my podcast, but I always ask people the same question at the beginning, which is because I feel like it's very important to check in with people and how we're feeling. So I want to ask you, how are you today? And I don't just want, I'm fine. I want a real answer. <laughs> are you happy? Are you sad? Are you annoyed? How are you feeling? No, I am actually happy as can be under the current situation with the COVID pandemic. Uh, but no, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy I can do my job. I'm happy I can help people. And, and you know, we take every day as it comes. So no, thanks for asking. No problem. Mr. Armin, something I wanted to ask you actually was my first, well, my second question to you is, how long have you actually been a bariatric surgeon for? Oh, gosh. Okay. Um, well, that is... A really good question. Uh, I would say for at least 16 years now, I've done bariatric surgery. But before that, I was a, sort of a, a, a general surgeon performing keyhole surgery. So I've always sort of uh, specialized within the field of, of advanced keyhole surgery. And I still do a lot of general surgery as well, like hernias, gallbladders, uh, so on and so forth. But to be honest with you, it was, I think in 2005 that I sort of uh, took up bariatric surgery as, as my main sort of uh, specialty. Okay, okay, that's interesting. And I'm going to come back to that in a moment about how you got started and, and why you got started. But my next question to you actually is, can you describe being a surgeon in three words? Uh, exciting, fun, mm -hmm. passion. Okay, that's interesting. Those are all positive words, though. Yes. Definitely. Um, and so I, I was um, wondering, actually, why did you decide to become a bariatric surgeon? Because, um, you know, as someone obviously that struggled with their weight, hence why I've had surgery, um, do you know, a lot of the times people are not kind to us. And so for you... I just wonder how did you kind of get into thinking, oh, I, I want to be a bariatric surgeon. I want to do weight loss surgery for people. What was the process of that like? Uh, that's a great question, Joy. So um, when I was um, uh, a junior doctor and, and training in, in, in general surgery, um, my, my passion always, actually, let me go back even before that. So even before I went into medical school to study medicine, I, I always knew I wanted to be a surgeon. Mm -hmm. I always like working with my hands and, you know, it's always something that, that I really, really was interested in. I didn't want to be the kind of doctor who just sits and, and prescribes medicines for people. I wanted to be really in there and doing stuff with my hands uh, and during my, my training. Uh, so that's why I, I, and, you know, I chose surgery in the first place. Um, and then during my training in surgery back in, you know, the late 1990s, early 2000s, um, you know, the, the sort of the 
keyhole approach, or we call it laparoscopic surgery, was really mm -hmm. sort of, uh, you know, becoming more and more common. Uh, and there was a great interest in, in, in England uh, with, with laparoscopic and keyhole surgery to treat different conditions. And, and I kind of really enjoyed laparoscopic surgery because it kind of, you know, you do the whole operation on a television screen. It's a bit like playing, a, you could say, you know, a computer game, in, you know, just to give you an example. Yeah. Um, um, so, so I was really interested in laparoscopic surgery. And then I thought to myself, you know, what can I really do that's going to help people really benefit from laparoscopic surgery? Because in those days, it was being done for hernias and gallbladders, but, but actually in England, very few, if any people were doing it for, for, for weight loss. In fact, I, in fact, I would say nobody in, in early 2000 was doing it for weight loss. So I decided, you know what, it'd be a really good idea to use this technology where we have uh, uh, laparoscopic keyhole, sort of minimally invasive surgery, so you don't have to make any big cuts. In people who want to lose weight, they need to have weight loss surgery because weight loss surgery has been around for, for decades, but it was done through open surgery. So, so people used to have big, big cuts and lots of, you know, all the problems that come with having big cuts. So, you know, the risk of getting wound infections and, and hernias and the operations taking a long time to recover from and a lot of pain. So I thought, why don't we, use, why don't we adopt the keyhole surgery technology in the field of weight loss surgery? And that, that, that's sort of how I got into, in, 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 into, into weight loss surgery. So then I went to the States. I spent mm -hmm. a, a year in, in, in New York, in upstate New York, to learn from one of the, the top uh, uh, laparoscopic weight loss surgeons. Uh, okay. and, and, that's the, and then I basically got uh, headhunted um, to Imperial College London to set up the weight loss surgery unit here. So that's, that's how, basically how I got into it. Okay, that's interesting. And, and obviously, you see patients all the time, every day. Do you often get to hear our story? So I know, like, when we have our consultation and things like that, you may hear little bits of, you know, our struggles and things like that with our weight, hence to why we've reached this point. But do you, do you have an interest in actually, you know, understanding your patient stories? And, and how do you feel about that? How do you feel about diets in general as well? Yeah. So it's a really, again, a, a very, very nice question, Joy. So every patient who comes to me to, for me to try and help them lose weight has their own story. Nobody's the same, but there are, there are some common features in, in everybody's story. And it's important for me to, to work out, you know, uh, what has led to the weight gain, what has been tried before, uh, to get a real understanding of, you know, what kind of treatments I think will work. Because yes, Joy, yes, I am a weight loss surgeon, but I also offer all the other treatments as well. So, you know, I can give you medication. If you want to lose a small amount of weight, there's some very good medication we can give. We can also do balloons. We can also, you know, try lifestyle techniques, exercises. Uh, so I work with a whole team of people. And, and, and it's really important to, as you said, to work out each patient's journey to sort of work out you know, what made them, uh, uh, you know, gain all this weight. But ultimately, what is really important to get across is that excess weight and obesity is not a choice. It's a disease. And this is, and it's been recognized by the WHO as a disease. So being obesity is a disease. And once you reach this state, it's important to know there's only very few things that can work to help you to lose weight, uh, significant weight and long-term weight. Now your second question, which was about, you know, what do I think about diets? Mm -hmm. I think 
I think diets are, are good for, for patients or people who need to lose small amounts of weight. You know, if you need to lose what, half a stone, a stone, yes, I think, I think dieting is, is, should be the first approach. Mm-hmm. Um, but clearly, when you've reached a state when you have a disease of obesity, then we know, and there's so much scientific evidence which, which shows that diets are actually useless and actually may even be harmful. And in particular, Joy, I'm talking about the kind of, you know, we call them the fat, the fad diet. So mm-hmm. for example, somebody only having, I don't know, cabbage soup for two weeks or only having liquids for two weeks or, or only, you know, um, doing, you know, a, a very low calorie diet where they only have, I don't know, 600 or 700 calories a day or, or they fast for, you know, 20 hours a day. All these are actually very harmful in the long run because what happens is, of course, you will lose a bit of weight if you have such aggressive dieting techniques. But unfortunately, our bodies are like, um, they're so intelligent. Your body and your cells realize that you're cutting down the calories. And you know what happens, Joy? Your metabolism slows down. So the body compensates, it adapts. Your physiology adapts to the low calories coming in and your metabolism slows down. And also what your body does is it fights back. It realizes you're eating much less than what you would normally eat. And and people who do these fat diets often feel really, really hungry and really feel uncomfortable. And it's impossible to stay on this really strict diet for more than a few weeks or a few months at, at best. And then typically like most people, when the, the diet eventually stops, they start eating normally again, but now because their metabolism has come right down, it only takes them a little bit of eating normally, and then they actually go back to their old weight plus some more. And then and then they're putting up more weight than they had before they started the diet. Yeah. It ends up like a, a vicious cycle of putting on more and more and more weight as you do more and more diets. It's a really, really, really you know, a horrible thing to happen. But I see it all the time. And all my patients say to me, I've tried this diet and nothing works. And in fact, I'm putting on weight. But, and they're surprised. And I, but actually, when, I, when they tell me this story, and it's a common story, I tell mm-hmm. them it's not surprising. Don't blame your, this is not your fault. This is not anything that you're doing wrong. It's the physiology. Your body ha- is designed to defend your weight. And I guess that's where the, the kind of term yo-yo diet comes in, because people often go on diets and they come off diets and they go on diet and it's like uh, as you said it's like a recurring thing and and I think that's something that a lot of people who don't struggle with their weight don't necessarily understand um that you can try as, as many diets as you want but you can't live on a diet for the rest of your life it has to be a lifestyle change you have to kind of condition yourself to like you can't restrict yourself of everything forever you know it has to be I guess what they say everything in in moderation but but we'll come back to that um Mr Ahmed could you explain to us um the different types of bariatric surgery that you do or that you know about for example so um often people hear about the band the sleeve and the bypass let's focus on those three for now um could you just give us a brief breakdown on what's the band what's the sleeve and what's the bypass for those people that may not know of course joy so uh, i mean you're quite right there's actually about a dozen different operations but the common ones are, are, are the ones you've mentioned and in fact if we were to describe them sort of on a 
on a national or even international level, the commonest these days would probably be the, the, the sleeve, or we call it we call it the sleeve, but the correct name is laparoscopic sleeve gastrectomy. Uh, the second commonest would probably be the laparoscopic gastric bypass. Um, and the third one, which uh, was very common back, you know, about a decade ago, but is now fairly uh, uh, getting less and less common, would be the, the, the laparoscopic gastric band, or, the, or, the, or what we call the band. Uh, let me start with the sleeve first. So this is, uh, actually, let me, let me first of all say that all these operations are done with uh, keyhole surgery. So, so never go to a surgeon who is doing these open, because they should all be done with keyhole or laparoscopic surgery. Now, okay. the, the sleeve operation is, is the one that's the commonest one, and it is really very simple indeed. What the surgeon does in a sleeve operation is he basically changes the shape of the stomach and makes it from being like a, like a, a rectangle into a small tube or a funnel. Uh, and, and, you almost, and you do that by using a special device called a stapling device. And we staple across the length of the stomach and we end up removing about two thirds of the stomach leaving behind a, a small narrow tube. So that's the sleeve. The gastric bypass is a little bit more complicated. So that takes a bit longer. So whereas the sleeve takes about 40, 45 minutes, the gastric bypass would probably take about an hour or an hour and a half. And what we do in the gastric bypass is again, we, we divide and we, and we staple off the stomach, but instead of making it into a tube, we make it into a small rectangle. So it's about the size of, a, of an egg, if you, wanna, okay. if you wanna imagine in your head. Obviously when you eat something, the food has to go somewhere. So what we do is we then connect that egg, that new small stomach, we call it the pouch, we connect it directly to, to a small bowel. So we bring up some small bowel and then we do a join between that small rectangular stomach pouch and the small bowel. And it's called a bypass because we don't remove anything. The, uh, the, the remaining stomach inside is still stated inside, but we just bypass it now. So the food is going through, you swallow it, it goes down your esophagus into the new tiny stomach pouch and then directly into the small bowel bypassing the old stomach, which is still inside you, it still makes its juices. And, the, and then we reattach the bowel coming from the old stomach to the bowel coming from the new stomach. So there's another attachment further down. So that's your bypass. Right. And the good one, which is the band, uh, and that's basically uh, an implant. So we basically put in this artificial kind of, uh, you could call it like a ring or a belt, uh, uh, and we kind of uh, wrap it around the top part of your stomach. And, and that kind of, and then we kind of make it a little bit tighter. And that kind of creates this new smaller stomach compartment above the band and then the remaining stomach below it. And it just slows down food from going through. And, that, and that's your band. Now the band has a little tube that comes out from it, which is connected to a little disc, which is called the port and that lies under the skin. And, and what, what we can do in people who've had the band is we can either inject liquid through the port and make the band tighter, or we mm -hmm. can remove liquid from the band by again, putting an injection into the port and then sucking out the liquid and then making the band looser. So we can actually regulate how tight the band is around your stomach. And hence we can also by doing that, regulate how full and how, how hungry a patient feels after the band. Yes, I mean, I've heard a lot of stories about the band. And as you said um, earlier, it was popular about 10 years ago, but nowadays surgeons aren't really recommended it, especially to NHS patients I've heard, um, because I think there's been stories about the band bursting. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, no, I think, Joy, the band is still uh, an operation um, that, that um, is, is successful when it's done for the right kind of person. 
Okay. Um, the band, I don't, if you had to say, you know, it, which is the safest out of all the three operations, Mm-hmm. Uh, I would actually say that probably the band is the safest because it doesn't involve any cutting at all. We literally just put the band around the stomach. So it's the safest and it's definitely the fastest. It takes about 20, 30 minutes. And actually patients who have the band can even go home the same day. They don't even need to stay the night in hospital. Mm-hmm. But you're absolutely right. What we have is in the last 10 years, we've had a, a series of increasing um, uh, uh, articles which, which have looked at patients who've had bands for 10, 15, 20 years. And what people have found and researchers have found is that in the long term, probably about a third of bands stop working after about 10 years. And that's the reason why it's become unpopular is because of this 30% failure rate in 10 years. So it's not really um, the kind of device that's gonna keep going forever and ever. Although it's designed to stay in forever, but about Mm -hmm. a third of people who have the band for whatever reason, uh, you know, can uh, can end up with with the band failing. So what that means is they they put weight back on. So the reason why you put the band in to lose weight it doesn't work, and then people start putting weight back on. So about a third of people end up needing to have more surgery uh, uh, to either remove the band and change it to another operation. Could they could they not go back to get the band tightened though? Because you said that um, it can be. Um, tightened a bit more so after like even if it's five years or ten years if they notice that they're putting on weight can it not get any tighter or is there a limit no there's a limit to how tight you can do it and often you still get this failure of about a third of people even in people who've had correct tightenings and who've turned up for appointments for their tightening even even those people a third of them the band will just stop working usually the reasons tend to be uh, down to not so much the band bursting, like you said, but more like the, the band slipping down the stomach or, or the band getting infected or being, having to have, and, and then being removed for that reason, or, or the band uh, you know, slowly eroding through the wall of the stomach and then becoming inside the stomach rather than outside the stomach. So these kinds of reasons uh, tend to you know, explain why, why, why folks with the band, a third of them fail. Okay. And a moment ago, um, you mentioned the band is, you know, might be suitable for, you know, the the right type of patient. What is the right type of patient for a band, would you say, in terms of size? And what would you say is the right type of patient for a sleeve and for a bypass? Because I think in in a lot of uh, programs and things online that you see, uh, people that are a lot heavier or let's say, I don't know, five, six hundred pounds maybe are more likely to get the bypass than the sleeve does it does it matter what what would you say to the um, in terms of that yes absolutely so i think it does matter so the band gives less weight loss than the bypass and sleeve so um just to give you a few numbers uh i normally quote the following um, statistics so for people who are having gastric band surgery i will usually say to them that you will lose probably about a fifth or 20% of your weight. Uh, whereas the gastric bypass and the sleeve gastrectomy, most patients will lose between a quarter and a third of their total weight. So between you know, 25 and 30% of their total weight. So, so, so the band weight loss is, is, is lower. So obviously for people who weigh, who are not that heavy, the band might be a better option. But obviously the, 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 the more weight you carry, then you're probably better off having either a sleeve or bypass, because you just end up losing more weight and therefore getting more benefit, you know, from the procedure. That being said, 
the band is a really good device also for people who are who maybe too you know they might be too scared of, of having um, you know a bypass or sleeve they're not comfortable about having a surgery that's going to you know alter their anatomy or, or they're not happy about their stomach being stapled so for those people the band is a good option also don't forget the band is fully reversible we can always either completely take it out with an operation or empty it by, by taking all the liquid out so for people who who want to have that 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 you know i suppose you could say that um, safety net of having a procedure that's completely reversible then maybe for them also the band may be a, a suitable, suitable option so so i still see people who come to my clinic asking for a band and we do bands and, and, and they're happy with it yeah okay that's interesting and actually leads me nicely on to my next question which is what can people expect after surgery so maybe let's put the band aside let's focus on the sleeve and the bypass because often people say oh you know surgery is an easy way out why don't you just go on a diet blah 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 we've heard it all before um but obviously I'm going through it now I am seven weeks out by the time this podcast goes out I'll probably be further along but um I am currently on mushy food so I'm following the diet plan that your team sent me so can you explain to people what the process is like after um the, the surgery so in terms of the liquid diet and pureed food etc yeah absolutely so with both sleeve and bypass uh the diet plan after surgery is identical and basically uh, what we recommend patients to do is for the first week after surgery to stick to, to liquids. And then for the next one month after that, to move on to mashed food and puree food. And then for the next month after that, go on to soft food. And after that, so you're, now you're kind of two months after surgery, you can eat anything you want. Obviously, you'll feel uh, less hungry and you'll feel full faster. But at two months, you can pretty much eat whatever you want. Now, the reason, Joy, we have this uh, um, kind of uh, gradual, uh, you know, movement from liquids to mash to soft. And uh, the reason for that is when we do these operations, as your body heals up internally, your stomach heals up, it swells. And the issue we have is if we said to somebody after surgery, like the following week, oh, why don't you go and have a piece of chicken or a piece of steak? What will happen is because there's significant swelling in the stomach, that piece of chicken might might just get stuck on the way down and create some discomfort and maybe some vomiting. So to avoid that, we, we have this gradual change in the consistency of the food over the two months whilst the swelling around the stomach completely settles. So the swelling takes about two months to disappear completely. And that's why we also have the diet, which goes from liquids to purees to soft food over those two months so that nothing blocks inside the stomach during that time. Okay. And I was told as well, it's, it's a little bit trial and error, even so after the diet plan, when you can eat everything again, is it a little bit trial and error in terms of how your body will react to certain foods, certain foods that you used to like, maybe you can't tolerate them anymore. Does, yes. does that happen often? Uh, it can happen. And it's really also very individual. So I have some people who can eat anything afterwards, obviously smaller amounts. And mm -hmm. I have some people who develop uh, aversions to kinds of foods they, they ate before, but they, they just don't tolerate it now. Uh, what's really interesting, and there's also some good research which, which shows this, and I think is one of the reasons why weight loss surgery is so successful, is although we're operating on the stomach, we're also operating on people's minds. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you what I mean by that, Joy. So it's really interesting, but in this particular study that they did, they basically um, 
checked people's preference for, for types of food before surgery and then a few months later. And, and they found before surgery, a lot of people enjoyed eating you know, sweets and, and high carbohydrate foods. And a few months after surgery, the patient's actual preference when they went to, uh, was more for vegetables and, and, and less sweet foods, more salty foods. And that was really interesting. So you can see how the operation is reprogramming your brain also to, to go for healthier choices. Yeah. And it's, it's funny you say that, actually, because, as I said, I'm seven weeks post-op. And what I'm finding is actually because um, smaller amounts of food and actually, you know, healthier food is, is actually satisfying me, um, I feel like I'm drawn to that more. I don't know if that makes sense, but it, it feels like because I've got this as a tool, um, I, I feel like I'm more drawn to just having a banana for a snack rather than, you know, a packet of crisps or two, which what I used, you know, what I would have had before surgery. It's, it's almost like, and, and the thing is about having more protein and less carbs, it's kind of like, because before the surgery, I had to do the no carbs um, or low carbs uh, pre-op diet. And as you said, it kind of trained my mind to now be like, I always say to people like my friends that have asked me about it and they're like, you know, what's it like, blah, blah, blah. And I always say, it's kind of like, you know how we would have say spaghetti bolognese. Now I would put the spaghetti first, then a bit of sauce on top and then, you know, some veg on the side or salad on the side. But with the surgery, I've kind of learned that, no, let's put the mince first mm. and then the veg and then a bit of, of you know pasta but by the time you've got to the pasta you're full yeah. and I feel like that is the thing that I'm actually enjoying is that knowing that I can have you know I don't have to have carbs because carbs used to be a big part of my life and every meal would contain a lot of carbs and I didn't even realize it you know I, you know you just kind of it's habit it becomes habit so it I think it does change your tra train your mind as well and it's like you know you've you've, you've done all of this work you kind of don't want to ruin it. Um, what would you say to people that say or think that having surgery is the easy way out? Because I can say it from my point of view, but you're a surgeon. What What do you say? No, it's definitely not the easy way out. I think, I think uh, a lot of um, people who haven't gone through this, people who don't suffer from the disease of obesity, say this, and it's it's. I I could not disagree more with it. Surgery is not the easy way out. Surgery ultimately is the only treatment we know works for obesity. There have been so many studies that have taken, uh, you know, people suffering from obesity and they've tried different treatments. They've tried lifestyle changes. They've tried dieting. They've tried medications. And none of these things work to treat the condition of obesity. Only only weight loss surgery has been proven scientifically to actually make a big difference to treat obesity, to reduce obesity, and also to reduce the health problems that come as a consequence of being obese, and also reduce um, the likelihood of developing uh, uh, health problems in the future, uh, also improve life expectancy back to its normal, and also reduce the risk of cancer. So something that a lot of people don't know, Joy, is that when you carry excess weight and you're obese, you have a 40%, a 40% higher risk of catching a cancer or developing a cancer. 
specifically breast cancer, uterus cancer, uh, ovary cancer, and colon cancer. All these cancers are related to obesity, and we know there's a strong association. And we have got research which very nicely shows that when people who've had obesity have weight loss surgery, their risk of these cancers drops right back down. Yeah. And I think as well, it's this, it's, uh, it's funny because a lot of people just assume that, you know, because you're overweight or obese, it's just because of what you eat and there can be no other factors. But I've, I, I, um, I've seen in a previous interview that you've done um, that you said that you believe that obesity is um, in your genetics or part of your genetics. What could you speak on that a little bit for me? Absolutely. So there is very good evidence now that more than your environment, it's the genes that, that basically um, uh, uh, determine uh, whether you become obese or not. And it doesn't just mean genes like your mom and dad, it could actually go up many generations and it could skip generations. So you could have skinny mom and dad uh, and even skinny grandparents, but maybe you know, uh, um, older than them might be, uh, might, might be you know, other family members uh, uh, who've had obesity, so it might skip generations. But we know now, I would say that probably 70% of obesity is, is genetically determined. And what the genes do is, they don't just make you obese, but they, what, they, what they do is they create what's called a, a genetic susceptibility to developing obesity. In addition to the genes, we also have another phenomenon which is called epigenetics. Now that is something very interesting and it's about um, what your mom ate when she was pregnant with you inside her womb. Okay. What's really interesting, Joy, is that what mom ate when, you were when she was pregnant with you in her also affects your risk of developing obesity and diabetes. And uh, so, so that you have genetics, you have epigenetics, and then yes, you have environment as well. So you need to have all these three things that work together that eventually end up with, with, with causing uh, obesity. Uh, when it comes to the environment and what you eat and drink, yes, obviously that plays a part, but, but a lot of it is already being pre-programmed by gene genetics and epigenetics. A good example or a good analogy, um, Joy, would be to think of, um, I guess you could think of, um, of a pistol. And what the genes and the epi epigenetics do is they kind of load the gun. And then when you, and then when, so you have that, that, that the gun is loaded and what you need then is the bad environment, you know, the, the easy access to, to bad things, you know, um, fast foods, high calorie foods, and that triggers the, uh, you know, the gun to shoot and then you develop obesity. So that's a kind of, you know, uh, analogy to, to, to look at. Yeah, no, that's interesting. And, and I guess following on from that point, you are a surgeon for the NHS and you also have a private clinic as well. Um, NHS and their kind of, I guess, the, 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 what's the word, the process of getting uh, bariatric surgery is, is fairly long, in my opinion. Um, I think roughly it's two, two to three years, maybe, um, 
and that's from like you know from when you are you know go for your GP to get referred and so on and so forth um what do you think about that length of time do you feel like that is acceptable or do you feel like it needs to be improved I know that there's obviously issues of funding and things like that but do you feel like bariatric surgery should be more easily available to people absolutely without a doubt and it really you know I I'm also on the um on the council for the British Obesity, uh, you know, and, and Metabolic Surgery Society, and we try so hard to to change this. Um, uh, and the unfortunately, the problem boils down to to money and and how much money uh, the local health authority has to pay for people's health problems and how they prioritize that. And unfortunately, there is so much um, anti-obesity. Uh, feeling out there that and that people who suffer from obesity unfortunately they, they fall at the bottom of the queue uh, and, yeah. and that's why and that's why not enough resources are are, are are given to treat obesity and we keep fighting this because you know uh, if you treat obesity with weight loss surgery you f- don't just fix obesity but you fix all the other health problems that would normally cost money to help you know to treat anyway so with one procedure, you, you fix everything from diabetes to high blood pressure to heart disease to people needing hip and knee replacements. You know, you fix so many different problems. Um, mm. yet, yet, you know, uh, we're facing that battle where we have to convince health authorities to invest more money, to make more bariatric surgery units, to, to refer more people for bariatric surgery because it will really help our, our NHS, you know, if, if we could go through uh, and help more people. Just to give you some figures, the last time I checked, you know, uh, there are about 2.3 million people in, in, in our country that meet the criteria for bariatric surgery. And, and I can tell you, in, in, in the non, okay, obviously because of COVID now, our, our numbers of surgery are, are lower, but on, on, before COVID hit us, we were mm-hmm. doing at most about 6,000 operations a year in this country for weight loss surgery through the whole country. And we have 2.3 million people who need the surgery. I mean, it's astounding. Yeah, it, it's, um, it sounds it. And just um, touching on a point that you just made there about um, people that meet the criteria. What is that criteria? Could you tell us? Because some people may not know and they may be sitting at home thinking, oh, do I meet the criteria? So what is, because I know they go by BMI and everything like that. So yeah. can you talk to us about that? Absolutely. So. For, if you want to have bariatric or weight loss surgery in the NHS, there are a certain set of criteria. We call them the, the NICE criteria, that's N-I-C-E, which stands for National Institute for Clinical Excellence. So, so the NICE criteria are, are basically based on your body mass index, or we call it the BMI. Mm-hmm. And that's basically your weight in kilos divided by your height in meters, but you square that, Okay. So normal BMI would be between 18 to 25. Between 25 to 30, you would be considered overweight. And anything over 30 would be considered obese. Mm-hmm. Now, to be eligible for NHS bariatric surgery, your BMI has to be over 40 if you don't have any health problems. Right. If you, if, however, if you have obesity and let's say, uh, uh, you know, uh, arthritis in your knee, then they will reduce the threshold to 35 BMI. 
Right. So if you have obesity and a health problem, the, 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 the threshold to be eligible for bariatric surgery drops to 35. Mm -hmm. If you have diabetes, type 2 diabetes, and only type 2 diabetes, and uh, then your BMI threshold drops further to 30. Okay. So if you're a type 2 diabetic and your BMI is 30 and over, then you'd be eligible for NHS bariatric surgery. But like you said, the waiting lists in the entire country are now completely out of control. Uh, I mean, they were long anyway before COVID, and now with COVID, it's really messed it up big time. So, and, yeah, sorry. And, and yeah, sorry, can I ask, do you have, to, is it the same criteria if you want to go private, or do the numbers change there? Uh, depends really. Uh, with privately, we have probably a little bit more flexibility to, to help our patients. And it's really based on an individual patient. Um, okay. So I would see each patient individually and, 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 and discuss their, their case with them and, and, and make a case for, for surgery if they don't meet the threshold exactly. So we have a bit more flexibility privately, yes. Okay. And although like I wanted to get you on here to kind of just tell us the facts, you know, because you're a professional, I'm not, I'm just, you know, living through it. Um, but what would you say to anybody that may be listening to this, that may be considering surgery, but have never really, you know, had any of these questions answered, maybe, because we know, we know there's Google, but there's also, you know, lots of uh, rubbish on Google as well. So I feel like it's, it's good to come from somebody who knows, you know, exactly what they're talking about. So what would you say to someone who may be thinking, I kind of want surgery, but I'm a little bit scared maybe they've never had a surgery before maybe they're scared about going under the knife what would you say to them not that they were, not that we're trying to encourage them but this is for people that are already you know 80% there yeah no I would basically say to them um, you know uh, don't be afraid it's the, the surgery when done correctly by properly trained surgeons it's extremely safe it's one of the safest kinds of surgery you could do uh, you know, and we know now from uh, various uh, studies that the risk of a complication, uh, you know, from weight loss surgery is like the same as having, a, you know, your appendix taken out or knee operation or a gallstone operation uh, when done safely. So it's a really safe operation. So I would encourage people, don't be frightened of it. Don't be safe. You know, make an appointment to see a specialist. And, 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 and I would also encourage them to go for it because the longer you live with obesity, the more likely you are to develop health problems uh, you know, from it. There's no advantage in waiting to have surgery. If you, if you feel like, you've, if you think you need it and you meet the criteria, come and see it. You know, go, and, go and see a specialist, come and see me or whatever, just so, so that we can discuss it and, 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 and do it so you can enjoy the rest of your life. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that's the thing. It's, it's a case of, you know, what are we actually waiting for? Like, I think that's why, you know, I came to see you in the end because I was like, I, I just didn't want to wait three more years, you know, of more than the two I'd already waited. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's everyone's personal choice. And I feel like people just need to understand that you've got to do what you want to do, do what's best for you um, and just not worry about what everybody else has to say. Um, and there's a lot of people actually that have had surgery that you wouldn't even know. People don't always talk about it. People have surgery and they keep it quiet. But I wouldn't to be very transparent and tell people no this is 
is what I've had. It's a part of life. I'm not ashamed of it because I think as well that's a, that's a big thing. Sometimes people have surgery, but they're ashamed because they sometimes people may feel like it's a failure. My last question to you, Mr. Ahmed, is going to be this. Um, we spoke about diets earlier and we said how, you know, maybe for two weeks or a month, if you want to lose a bit of weight. Surgery, to me, was more of a long-term a long term goal and a long term achievement. Um, can you speak about that? What are people's success rates, if we can call it that? How are people 10 years out, 20 years out, do people ever go back to the size that they was when they started? Yeah, a great question again, Troy. So the answer to your question is, uh, in fact, the, uh, the question has already been answered. We have, again, some really good um, data and, and scientific studies which have looked at exactly what happens 10, 20 years after surgery. So, and this is in everybody who's had weight loss surgery. So to give you an example, if we start at your at, at somebody's weight, let's just say for, for the ease of mathematics that it, they weigh 100 kilograms, right? Mm -hmm. in, at 100 kilos, in the first year, if they have a sleeve or bypass, they will lose about 30% of that. So in the first year, their weight will go down from 100 kilos to 70 kilos, okay? Now, what will happen in the next 20 years is that 70 kilos, it won't stay at 70, because as time goes by, it is just normal physiology to, to gain a little bit of weight as you age. And even surgery can't reverse that. It's called physiological age-related weight gain. So over the next 20 years, your 70 kilos will slowly go back up to about 80 kilos 20 years later. But it will never go back to 100 kilos. So, so the answer to your question is weight loss surgery provides significant weight loss and long-term weight loss. Will you be exactly the same weight 20 years away, 20 years later from what, you weigh, from what you weigh a year after surgery? The answer is no, but that's just normal human biology. You will regain a little bit of weight, but you should never go back to your original weight. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so that's the sort of the, the, the message I want to get across. Perfect. Thank you. Well, we have come to the end. Um, Obviously, you're new to my podcast, so you don't know this, but everybody that comes on my podcast as a guest, I try to get them a gift to say thank you for giving up your time. Um, when I was in the hospital, you told me I had to drink lots and lots of water. So since I've been home, I've been trying. I've been drinking lots of water. Now, I was thinking, what can I get Mr. Ahmed as a gift? I'm pretty sure you've got everything that you need. Um, but I thought... When you're not, you know, cutting people open, you might be in the office and you might need a cup of tea or coffee. So I've got you a personalised mug that says, Mr. Wow. Ahmed, world's best bariatric surgeon. And on the back, it says, as voted for by Joy's World, the podcast. Amazing. So I'll bring that to you in my next Thank appointment. You. Thank you so much. That's amazing. That's, I love it. Thank you very much indeed. Very kind you. you're welcome thank you so much for joining me and um, speaking openly and freely about this I feel like it's gonna resonate with a lot of people and as I say like this is not an advert for surgery I just wanted to get you know a professional's opinion and you know if people want to contact you you are very high up on the list on google and when they Google bariatric surgeons, you come up. So you must be doing a good job. Um, guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Joy's World, the podcast. Remember to 
stay happy and live your best life always remember to follow your dreams and follow me on instagram at joy's world podcast follow me on twitter at joyxoxo email me joyspodcast at hotmail.com mr ahmed thank you thank you very much joy take care bye bye bye